forever. We need you to heal those we love. We can't do it. We need you to restore the injured and to cure the ill, to lift the depressed, and to strengthen the caregivers and give hope to them all. We can't do it, Father. We need you to comfort the grieving. We need you to be a shoulder to lean on, and arms that hold on, to be ears that listen, and eyes that cry with us, and to be the one whose resurrection brings hope and solace. Make us today more like you, like our Redeemer Christ, who came to seek and save the lost, the one who went to them with love and grace, forgiveness and the good news of the kingdom. We need your help and your strength to do the same. Father, we'd ask that you would heal our land and heal this world. Our land divided between red and blue, rich and poor, native and immigrant, old and young, conservative and progressive. We need your touch, Father, for we cannot do it. Bring us together not just in tragedy, but unite us in righteousness, holiness, and justice in answer to the prophet's prayer to let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Lord, we can't do it. We need you to. We need you to redeem and relieve our pain, for we can't do it, Father. There are those who are here today whose relationships may dangle by a thread with a distracted spouse, a wayward child, distant siblings, any number of family issues. Bring honest and healthy reconciliation, Lord. Lots of us are absorbed in fear, Father. Fear of jobs, fear of financial ruin, fear of test results, fears about being found out. And Father, these fears consume us at times. We need you to act. We can't do it. And Lord, today we need to hear your voice. We need to hear and believe the gospel that changes us. And we need to hear your word to do your will. We need you, Father, in all these things. That is our desire. That is our prayer offered in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I told you, we will be spending some time in the Psalms today. The sermon will come from Psalm 23, if you would like to turn there in your Bible. And I need to figure out what translation I'm reading from this morning. <laughs> ESV, it looks like. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Father, calm us now. Calm us into a quietness that heals and listens. Open hearts to the balm of your word and please speak to us in clear tones that we might sense our spirits leaping for joy with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. I want to start this morning and share a short story I read with you recently. In a famous city, in a famous theater, a very famous actor was the headliner. And on this night he was going to recite from in dramatic fashion, famous lines from some of the world's most important literature. Near the conclusion of this performance, he recited Psalm 23. And as he finished, the crowd stood up, roared approvingly at his dramatic reading. They clapped and cheered and went on and on. And he tried to remain modest, but the audience just took him in with their, over, with their never-ending cheering. The famous actor hushed the crowd, as was his tradition, and he asked if someone from the audience might come forward and recite the words again. A simply dressed man came forward. He seemed out of place in this fine theater. He had a limp, and he had an arm that was slightly deformed. His limp and his arm were from injuries he received as a younger man serving in the war. And as he approached the famous actor on the stage, he said, Dear sir, I'm no speaker. I'm just a simple janitor. And the actor said to him, Don't worry, my man. The words are right there on the lectern. All you have to do is read them out loud. The man said, Oh, sir, I couldn't read the words. The sight of all these people out here terrifies me. I guess I'll just have to close my eyes to get through this. The famous actor replied, well, friend, the words are right there if you need them. And the actor left the stage and sat in the front row. The man stepped up to the microphone and took a deep breath as he closed his eyes. And he perfectly recited the 23rd Psalm from memory. He opened his eyes and he stumbled off the stage. And there was such a hush after he finished. You could feel it. The audience sat in stunned silence. Some were confused. Still others sat in deep reflection. The famous actor took in the audience's reaction and he was moved by the response. He returned to the stage with tears streaming down his face and took a deep bow as the curtain closed. And as I've been known to do in the past, I'll save the end of this story for later. One of the issues we face with Psalm 23, it's so common. Everybody knows it. Everybody's said it. Everybody's heard it. The words are easy for us if we grew up in a Christian family or even exposed to Christianity in some way. So those words might have a tendency to just kind of wash over us. They might give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. 
maybe even some comfort. Even if we don't understand much or anything about what they mean. Now traditionally, this is an appropriate text for a funeral. I used this text when I preached um, Charlie's funeral recently, and it brought Flora great comfort. I have attended funerals where this was the text um, for the funeral message. And from experience, it brought great relief. It's a reassuring psalm for the grieving to know that their loved one did not face death alone. <clears throat> Whether we were right beside them, miles and miles away, or even in the next room, we can know that they did not enter into the darkness alone. And this will be true for us one day if we belong to Christ. And as comforting as this psalm is, as a funeral psalm, it has much more to say to us. So we're going to try to hit the reset button in our minds and hearts and try to get a deeper understanding of this beautiful song. And by the end of this sermon, we will hopefully enjoy it more deeply in Christ. Now this psalm divides pretty easily into two sections. Verses 1 through 4 speak of a shepherd. And verses 5 and 6 speak of a host, speak of the Lord of hosts. And we're going to follow that pattern, but we're going to look at this psalm as if it's a precious jewel. And we're going to look at it from some different angles so that we can see the full beauty of it. We're going to see it from King David's point of view. And like most other psalms in the first book of Psalms, this is called the Psalm of David. It's a king psalm. Now, we don't know when David sang it, prayed it, or what made him do it, but it was a true statement of his faith and life. And we need to remember that David, just like the other writers of the Psalms, are sort of speaking like a prophet through the Spirit of Christ, the king who had not yet been crowned. Before this psalm can be ours, it first must be David's. And then it must be the prayer of Christ, our King, before we can claim it as our own. As you might remember in Luke 24, Jesus proclaimed that the Psalms testify of him. So it's important for us to try to see this Psalm as a Psalm of Christ as well. Because Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd in John 10, we quickly jump to think of ourselves praying the psalm about Jesus, our Lord, who is our shepherd. He is, but it's important for us to remember first the original context in David's life and the fulfillment context as Jesus was the king, the way he might have prayed this psalm. This is a psalm of our king and must be read as such before we fully understand it fully lay claim to it. And as we move through this psalm, we're going to incorporate Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. And hopefully you notice this morning, we've read from both those psalms. We read a portion of Psalm 22. And our corporate reading was Psalm 24. Now why is that? I think a microphone must be on up here or something because I'm, am I getting, are you hearing feedback? Okay. Um, 
these three psalms are arranged specifically. The psalms, the book of Psalms is not just psalms slapped in there willy-nilly. They are arranged for theological reasons. And Psalm 22, 23, and 24 form a trilogy. Psalm 22, as you might remember, is a lament psalm, a complaint. Psalm 23 is what we call a psalm of confidence or trust. And Psalm 24 is a royal or a king, kingly psalm. So it would be helpful for us to think of David and then Jesus singing this psalm as we try to make the psalm our own. And even though the word trust is not used, Psalm 23 has the same theme as Psalm 22. Because the king who trusts God in the face of terrible pain in Psalm 22 trusts that same God to be his shepherd through the darkest valley. In Psalm 23, the tone of voice is very different. Psalm 22 is big and it's loud and it's intense and it's agonizing. In the first part, we're taken to the depth of pain and misery and a sense of abandonment. And yet the concluding part of Psalm 22 ends with joyful. Trumpets of joy, gladness, praise. So we'll try to weave those things together and see what that might mean. So Psalm 23 begins and ends with the Lord. The covenant name for God. So the covenant God has made with the king a covenant in David's line in 2 Samuel. That should be in our minds. What is that covenant? Somebody from your line will always be on the throne. And of course we know ultimately that is Christ. So this is a psalm about the covenant promises to the king. And the psalm begins with the confident affirmation that God is going to lead David his king to a place of full provision. In the first three verses, we see that God is the king's shepherd and the king lacks nothing. David celebrates that truth that the Lord takes him where there is satisfaction. The words, makes me lie down, leads me, refreshes me. Literally, it means causes me to turn, guides me. And th these words we hear in verses 2 and 3 all speak of God's action, his initiative in bringing the king to a place where there is plenty. And although the language, as David is writing, is individual, my, I, me, the shepherd imagery is designed to be corporate. As in Psalm 28, where the psalmist says, Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So the God who is the shepherd of the king is also the shepherd of the people, not just the king. For the king is the representative head of the people. The king represents the people before God. So he is our representative. 
and speaking for us and mediating for us the covenant relationship with God. And the words, I lack nothing in the first verse is an echo of the Exodus. The psalmist doesn't specifically mention the Exodus, but there's clearly an Exodus here. The, the words and the experience of Israel traveling through the wilderness where Moses told them in Deuteronomy, you have not lacked anything. And the phrase, he leads me to green pastures and he guides me are echoes of the song of Exodus 15, a song that the people sang after they were being pursued by Pharaoh's army to the banks of the Red Sea and God split the sea open. He created a dark valley through the Red Sea and the people walked through on the dry land. And as Pharaoh's army entered into the dark valley, it collapsed on them and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. And so when the people get to the other side, they say, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Literally interpreted, that would be pasture. You guide them to your holy pasture. In verse 2 of this psalm, the word quiet in quiet waters is often translated in the Old Testament as rest. And it is also used as a picture of the promised land. Uh, and we can read that in Psalm 95. King David sings about how God's promise brings him as the leader of Israel, as the personification of Israel to a place with plenty to eat. It's not a song of a single person, even though it is a psalm of David. What God does for the king he has chosen, he does for the people he has chosen. So since we are the people of the king, men and women who are in Christ, this gift and comfort is ours as well. And we see in verse 3 that all God does is for his namesake. What's going on there? Because God has made a covenant promise to the king, his reputation, his name, is at stake if he fails to fulfill his promise. See, God's reputation to his people depends on his action, his promises, and his fulfilling of the promises. David was confident. He wasn't wishfully thinking that God would uphold his end of the deal. He knew that God was. And David speaks by the Spirit of Christ, and when the Lord Jesus would have sung, Psalm 23, he would sing it as the anointed king, the Messiah, the head of the people, the embodiment of Israel. In this capacity, Christ himself was confident that his father would bring him and all of his people into the place of plenty, the inheritance that is the new heavens and new earth. Sometimes we forget or we, we put it out of mind because we're so enamored the fact that Christ is God come down. But we forget that he was a man too. And that flesh struggled just like our flesh does with fears, 
it struggled. These are the scriptures of Christ. The Psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament from the Old Testament. The Psalms up here over and over and over. And these were the scriptures of the people. They were the prayers of the people, the songs of the people, the worship of the people. And that was no different for Jesus. And just like David was led and guided by the shepherd, Christ was led and guided by his shepherd, the Father. And because of that, we can trust that our shepherd, Christ, will lead and guide us and refresh us and make us to lie down in places of beauty and plenty. It makes a big difference to pray these things, these words, when we understand that we are as a people in Christ our King. The green pastures and quiet waters and right paths are the same places that Christ has been on our behalf. Sometimes we forget about his life. We get so focused on the cross, and well, we should be focused on the cross and the resurrection, but it's the life he lived that made the cross successful, that made the resurrection important. We don't get a lot about his life in the scriptures. They just don't share that much with us until we are into his adulthood and his ministry. But it's important for us to think of ourselves as his flock, being led to a place that he has set for us to enjoy. Now, verse 4 makes it clear that the pathway to green pastures will include some unpleasantness. It involves the road of suffering. Suffering like we see in Psalm 22. It takes the king through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death. And the word speaks of a shadow behind this valley which indeed does lie in death. Yet even here, as the king goes into the valley, just as Christ went to the valley of the cross, he ultimately trusts the shepherd. David trusts God. Christ trusts his father. The shepherd's rod fends off wild predatory beasts, and the shepherd's staff guides the sheep to keep them going in the right direction. Our king, the leader of God's people, goes himself into deep darkness on our behalf. In the gospel accounts, we hear from the cross as Christ yells out one line from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not go on to recite the whole psalm, but the people present, the people who had the Hebrew scriptures, they would know this. They would know this psalm. And they would know that this is a psalm of lament. Let me just share a few of the verses of Psalm 22 with you. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my, gar my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, it might surprise us that God's anointed king expresses such feelings of abandonment. After all, kingship, isn't that a position of comfort, wealth, privilege, power, fame? Yet, there it is in the psalm. It's frightening in the intensity of the suffering. The truth is that to be God's anointed king was actually a call to inherit suffering, deep suffering, more deep than we can imagine. And he experiences agonizing distance from the Father. So far, so far, in a terrifying silence, you do not answer. The covenant God, my God, my God, is repeated twice in these opening verses, who never, ever forsakes his people. That is the very definition of covenant faithfulness. And yet it seems he has forsaken the king. He cannot rest, although God seems to have no difficulty resting in silent distance. We need to feel the terror of that predicament that Christ found himself in on that cross. The man, Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We need to have some sense of what he was enduring for his people, for us. All of this distress, crying out, pleading for help as he dies on the cross, bearing our sin, dying the death we deserve, and experiencing God's full wrath because of our actions, and faithfully submitting to the Father's will in order that we might be reconciled to God. In the second part of this psalm, there's a shift as lament psalms do, a tremendous change. The king's prayer to be rescued has been answered. Now, we don't know what answer David experienced. Remember, this was a psalm of David, and it's a psalm of Christ. But we do know, ultimately, the answer that Christ experienced. It was his bodily resurrection public vindication, ascension, and exaltation, and being seated at the Father's right hand. In verse 22, the vindicated king calls out, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. 
From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform, perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. How can this psalm end on such a negative, tragic note? And end so positively. Jesus knew the scriptures. The people there knew the scriptures. They knew that Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are arranged that way for a reason. They're telling a story. Hebrews 1, chapter 2, verse 12 says that ultimately these words of King David are spoken by Jesus himself as he, declare, as he declares the righteous name of the Father to the church, to his assembly. The Father whom he trusted, according to Peter, proved himself utterly trustworthy. And the assembly of the people of God is another way of speaking of the church, since the word assembly can equally be translated as congregation or church. So we picture this great congregation gathered together as the now vindicated king stands to declare the name of the Savior, God, to them. That is, declare the name ultimately to us. The name is the public revelation that this God truly saves. He saved the king. He saved David. He saved his son. His son saved us. Therefore, we can be confident. The king was afflicted. He tuffered, suffered terribly. And in his suffering, he cried out to God. And God did not mock his cries, but he heard them and vindicated him. And ultimately, this vindication came by resurrection. And that's where Psalm 24 becomes important to our understanding of Psalm 23 and 22. It is the psalm of Christ glorious entrance into heaven as the king. He enters as one with the clean hands and a pure heart. He is the king of glory. And Psalm 22 concludes with the move from the singular, the afflicted one, to now the plural, speaking of many. The poor, those who seek the Lord. And that's where we come in. Precisely because God has proved himself faithful to the king. We should be confident that he will be faithful to us. We too will eat and be satisfied. So this Psalm 22 takes us on quite an emotional journey. And this is why the people of God sing it again and again. Down through the ages. We get a taste of the bitterness of that cross. We must have that taste before we can fully appreciate the wonder, the worldwide experience of rescue and worship that the cross brings to us. We don't know how many times Jesus might have sung this psalm. Psalm 23. How many times... Did he sing Psalm 22 or pray Psalm 22 before he cried the first line in agony from the cross? 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not because he didn't know the answer. He knew. It was the entire purpose of him being made flesh, being made a man, that he must endure this forsakenness to pay the penalty for you and I. And yet, in the agony of separation from the Father, whom he had known with loving delight for all eternity, only the Psalms can begin to express the depth of that suffering. And yet, even as he endured the covenant curse of being forsaken, he knew. He knows the words of Psalm 24. He knows the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. He's prepared a meal for me in the presence of mine enemies. A meal we celebrate once a month here. I will return to the house of the Lord, and I shall dwell there forever. Who is this king, this king of glory? Christ knew those words. He knew that that's what stood in his future as he died on the cross. I hope you start to see the connection between Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. As we follow our king, we're called to enter into some dark times. We're going to suffer. And ultimately, we will face the darkest trial. We will face death, each and every one of us. Death itself will cover our souls with a darkness so black that there would seem to be no hope were it not for our shepherd who walks with us just as the shepherd father walked with Jesus. When we go into that valley and finally into the darkness of death itself, <clears throat> we will do so as members of the people of the king who has gone on before. A king who knows the route. He's walked the route many, many times. He'll take our hand and lead us. Just like his own father led him. And as we read in 1 John we now have company with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. And this fellowship cannot be broken. Not even by death. So in the first half of Psalm 23, the king says he, he is sure he will lead his people to a place of plenty. And verse 4 backs it up. Even death can't stop him. And verse 5 looks forward to the king's end victory. A table set for a victorious feast. And there are enemies who keep fighting against God to this day. But they will not be allowed at the feast. Instead, they will only look on in defeat and frustration. And it says that the king's head is anointed with oil before the feast and his cup overflows with blessings. At last, the king of Psalm 2 will rule over the nations. We will rule as his people. And, so, and verse 6 is the climax. After the gentle leading and the assurance of walking through the valley of darkness and a victory banquet comes the final delight. Love. 
the goodness and covenant steadfast love or has said of God belong to the king to enjoy an intimate fellowship with God, his father forever. And that is what the king desires most. And it is what he will forever enjoy in the house of the Lord. He will gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And the king promises we will be with him and we will share in these things. Remember I told you earlier that the psalm begins with the covenant name of God, the Lord. It ends with the Lord. And in Christ, those covenant promises are ours. He's guaranteed them. He has kept the covenant where we couldn't. We no longer live independent of God without any type of spiritual life. In Christ, through the spirit that we have as a down payment, we are in perfect union with God. We are reconciled through the work of Christ, through the one who walked through the valley of the shadow of death. That actor that I told you about earlier, after the show was over, he's surrounded by reporters, microphones, tape recorders, cameras, clicking. What a wonderful performance. One of the reporters asked him about this crippled janitor. The reporter wanted to know how he felt about the different reaction to his recitation of Psalm 23. The reporter said, you drew wild applause and accolades. But that other fellow, the audience reacted quite differently. Somehow his words profoundly affected the people. What do you say about that? How does that make you feel that this nobody who said the same words you did with a lot less flair received such a dramatic response? The actor replied, and again the tears began to flow down his face. He said, sir, I have given this same performance countless times, receiving great applause each time. Do you want to know the difference between my reciting Psalm 23 and that man's recitation? I know the words of the psalm, but that man, in his humility and brokenness, he knows more than just the words. He has done far more than to simply memorize the words. Did you not see that his bones had been broken? And now his joints are out of place? Did you not notice how plainly he was dressed? Look around you at the finery of this theater. Look at the audience. Can you not imagine the riches and the wealth they must possess? in order to come here to hear me perform? Probably not thinking twice about the man 
who will spend hours cleaning up after them this evening. Yet this man doesn't complain about his plight. He performs his task each evening so that the people might enjoy this rich experience. His injuries are proof that he has walked through the dark valley. He seems to know that a great reward awaits him. You ask me the difference and how the audience reaction to the man makes me feel? Let me leave you with this. I know the words of the psalm. I've repeated them in dramatic fashion hundreds of times. But this man, this simple servant, he not only knows the words of this psalm, he knows the shepherd. And he walks and serves others with the shepherd. Now if you'll excuse me, I need to go find him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your wisdom you recorded your word through your son Christ that we might glean from it, that our hearts and lives might be changed by it. And Father, I pray that your words might change people here today, that we might walk away from here thinking a bit more deeply about our Savior Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.